Blog Talk Radio. Jean-Luc Jordy Specs, mysteries on the holodecks, asteroids, triple droids, telepathic beta zoids, transporter, deadly claw, visitor from LA law, photons, no Kirk, Captain has gone berserk, shuttlecraft, console Troy, Dr. Crush's little boy, Klingon rights, parasites, new heights, phaser fights, Data's head, Tasha's dead, Quike is hanging by a thread, celebration, transformations, everyone to battle stations. God, I love that song. We've been using that song since our podcast first premiered uh, over five years now. It's a really catchy, cool song, but uh, I think it's time for an update, so you guys want to keep your eyes peeled for that one. Anyways, welcome to Trek Talking and Beyond. I'm your most excellent host, Uncle Jim, back for another show. We'll be live with you guys for about the next two hours, so please, 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 if you're listening and you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 646-668-2433. we got a lot to talk about. And we'd love to hear from you. With me, as usual, are my Trek experts, and we'll start off with Eric. Eric's out in Portland. How you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing really good, man. I'm still not used to this early dark. I feel like I said that last week, but you know, it's getting pretty dark here. 4:30. Uh, so, of course, it's much, much later for you, Jim. But 4:30 darkness here. You know, I'm just not quite used to it. But that's okay. I'm having a good day. Actually, getting myself ready for a Star Trek attack wave tournament online. So there's some Star Trek. Backwing action happening in the community, which I'm also very excited about. Wow. And, and I think they're still coming out with that uh, Star Trek Attack Wing one-player Federation versus Dominion game, too. Yes, they are. Alliance uh, is right now, uh, it's been rescheduled several times uh, over the course of many, many months and, and, yeah. and such. Right now, it's actually been reslated for January release. Uh, at least that's what they say in the books right now. So we'll see if it gets delayed after the new year. We were hoping to have it for Christmas this year, uh, but it ain't going to happen. Manufacturing problems, uh, changing manufacturers, various delays, blah, 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 blah. So uh, hopefully 2021 is the year that we finally see some new Star Trek tackling content. If so, it'll be, I believe, more than two years since we've seen something. So uh, it'd be nice to get yeah. some new stuff mixed. That, well, that that will be. And we also have with us, as usual, my right-hand man, Charles. And Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing good. Yeah, I agree with the time change, Eric. <laughs> Definitely getting dark too early. Uh, I still think we had some Star Trek attack, attack wing stuff last no, October, November. We had so it's been 18 months. Yeah. Animated. There we go. We had the animated, but it's going to be over a year. If we go into 2021, it's going to be more than a year past the last release. And sadly, that last release didn't really have a big bang out of it. Yeah, they need to they need to inject some it's life hard, into it. Actually, pay some attention. Yeah. 
Well, guys, we've got a great show for you guys. We might actually go a little bit longer than usual because we've got so much to talk about. We have Unification Part 3. We've waited over 30 years for the final chapter. We got it. But that's not all because we also got Episode 13, Mandalorian, The Jedi. And, of course, we're talking about not just any old Jedi. Hell no. We're talking about Ahsoka Tana herself. So we got a lot to cover tonight. So if you guys want to give us a call and join in the conversation, please do. Um, we we broke 23,000 followers on our Facebook page uh, last week, and we're pushing towards 24,000. So maybe by next week we'll be at 24,000. I mean, we're, we're growing in leaps and bounds here. So that's awesome. You guys can find us at Facebook at Facebook.com backslashing Trek Talking and A-N-D Beyond. Spell that all out. Head over to Facebook. Like and follow us. Be part of our Star Trek family. Take place in our polls. Well, not our polls, our questions. And tell us where you're from. And maybe you'll be a lucky fan to get a shout-out on the show. And with that in mind, one more thing I want to mention that I mention every week is that Star Trek Discovery Season 4 is currently in production. So season four is on its way. And Eric, we usually at this part of the show, we go around the world, and uh, that's where you jump in and take us away. Absolutely. Well, we are having a good week this week, Jim. Not only did we break 23,000 followers, but we broke 29,000 downloads on our of our podcast. And part of that is uh, in part due to our international listeners and our number one international listener this week is Australia with 4.73% of our total listener population. The UK is coming in as our number international listener with 4.01% uh, of everybody this week. Ireland, out of nowhere many, many months ago, still in the middle of the pack, 3.15% of our listeners come from Ireland. Uh, when Norway came out of nowhere just uh, maybe a month or two ago, 2.72% of our listeners and steadily gaining. When is Norway going to break 3%? I think it's going to be soon. And hanging on to that number five spot, we have Canada with 2.28% of our listeners. Thank you guys so much for listening and for downloading our podcast. We always appreciate it because we have a good time talking to each other, but it's nice to know there's people out there listening too. Jim, Part yeah, show. and not only that, uh, you know, we're, we, we're really grateful to listen to have all these listeners around the globe, but being a Facebook page and being fans ourselves, we like to give individual shout-outs to our fans so that you guys know that we appreciate you, and you know that we actually do read all of the posts that are either me, Eric, or one of us. We will look at them, all of them, okay? Um, I make it a point to try to read every single one. Um, but if I don't, Charles will, if Charles doesn't, Eric will, we, we, we see everything you guys write and we really, really appreciate that. So what we like to do is we like to give individual shout outs to fans personally by name. And all you need to do is go to our Facebook page and you'll see a post pinned to the top saying with all the fans around the world, where are you from? And uh, just drop us a little note and say, Hey, it's Joe from Yugoslavia or whatever. And every week I pick some lucky fans and we read your name on the air. If you see a heart next to your name from Trek Talking, that means you're a lucky fan. Your name has been chosen and you want to tune into the show. 
and you'll hear your name. So, Eric, why don't you get us started off with our fan shout-out? You bet. And this week, Jim, we're doing something a little different. We have added a designation from our Facebook page. We have several people who tell us a little bit more on our Facebook page than other people do. When they do, they earn one of those uh, good old top fan badges from Facebook. And so we're going to call out the people uh, not only who Jim has hearted, but who are top fans on our Facebook page. So our number one, uh, or I should say uh, our first (laughs) top fan of the week is Glauco Terzi from San Jose de Campos in San Paulo, Brazil. Thank you so much for listening to us, Glauco. It's great to have you here and also on the Facebook page. Uh, we're saying hello also this week to Felipe Dardet from Chusolo, France, uh, all the way over in France. That's so cool. Hello, Olive Green from Seattle, just only three hours away from me. So cool to have you along for the ride and part of the great Pacific Northwest with me. And then we're also saying hello to Reza H. Alashemi from Shiraz, Iran. I think that's the second person we've had from Iran in the last couple weeks. So that is pretty cool. We're widening our reach there. Uh, we also have, oh, and Shiraz is, or excuse me, Reza is also one of our top fans, which is pretty special. You, you got to interact a lot to get that billing. And then we're also saying hello this week to Henry Hack Gustafsson from Sweden. You know, that's so funny. My middle school teacher's name was Miss Gustafsson, and she was from Sweden. Maybe a relation. Hmm. Hello, Henry. Thanks for joining us. Sonia Reed is joining us from Bend, Oregon, right around four hours from me. Sean Flanner says he's the captain of the USS Sacramento Sovereign Class, hailing frequencies open. And also, hello, finally, for me, to Luke John Sadler from Bournemouth, England. Awesome. Charles, who else is listening to us this week? Oh, I got one of our top fans, Benjamin Hitchcock from Alabama, and Nigel Thorpe, which is also a top fan from England. He's from San Francisco. Reed Robinson from Pickerton. Pickering, Ontario, Canada, Saskatchewan, Toronto. Jerry Wilson from Fairbanks, Alaska. I got Val Glitner from Orlando, Florida, living in Texas. Sandy Williamson from Delhi, Adelaide. Adelaide, South Africa. South Australia. I'm not familiar with this person, but I looked them up, and they are a member of the USS Las They are friends with members of the USS Las Vegas. I'm pretty sure she's one of the crew members. Carolyn C.J. Mathis from Henderson, Nevada. Just down the road from me. Good to see one of our one of our Las Vegas people online. Jim, what about you? Well, I'm going to send a huge shout out to another top fan of ours, James James. J, J, <laughs> you can do it, Jim. You James, can do it, <laughs> James J. Drymiller from Costa Rica. Thank you for being a top fan, and thank you for listening to us. Also. Uh, Jill Thackray from Victoria, Australia. We'd like to say hello to Terry Swatrout from Brooklyn, New York. Represent. Spent my summers there growing up. 
Coney Island, nothing, nothing beats Coney Island and Nathan's hot dogs. So shout out to Brooklyn. Paul Leonard from Youngston, Ohio. Jack Daniels, no representation, I don't think, no relation to the Jack Daniels, I don't think. From Liverpool, UK. We'd like to say hello to Leonard Crane from Port Hope, Ontario, Canada. We'd like to give a shout-out to Don Dunnell from Fairbanks, Alaska. That's a second Alaska person. Uh, We'd like to send a huge shout-out to Daniel Brooks in Tidewater, Virginia. And the last and not least, another top fan of ours, Gregory S. White from Avon, Indiana. So thank you to listening, guys. We really appreciate it. We couldn't do the show without you guys. What do you think about the top fan designation? Uh, I was cutting those out, but I decided to leave them in. You guys like shouting out the top yeah. fans too? or? Yeah, I think it's nice yeah. because, you know, as, as Charles and I help you manage the page, we definitely start to notice the same names over and over again. And it's really cool to know who's really paying attention, who's uh, contributing along the way. I mean, we love all of our fans for sure, but it's nice to give a little special shout out to the ones who are really, uh, you know, paying a lot of attention. Yeah, so from now on, uh, we're going to leave the top fans in. So kind of like for listening to the podcast, and thanks for contributing to the page. So if you're a top fan, you're going to get a shout-out as well. And with that out of the way, it's time for Star Trek. That was not a Klingon song. So we don't have a lot of birthdays this week, uh, or a lot of remembrances for that matter. It's kind of a slow, slow week. Um, But that's going to give us more time to talk about Mandalorian and Star Trek, I guess. So that's pretty cool. So this is the part of the show where we remember the members of our Star Trek family that are no longer with us. And for that, we turn to Eric. Yeah, we only have two remembrances uh, this week, and I guess this week is just since our last podcast, which was uh, actually only Saturday, so um, short week for us here. Uh, The first one, and both of these, I think uh, any Star Trek fan is definitely going to recognize for sure. Our first one, uh, our first remembrance this week is from Malachi Throne, who played Commodore Mendez uh, in the TOS episodes Menagerie uh, 1 and 2. He also played Senator Pardak in Unification, which uh, I I have most recently rewatched Unification 1 and 2, leading into our discussion of Unification this week. And Senator Pardak is a, of course, prominent player uh, in those episodes, one of the Romulans who uh, pretends to be uh, somebody who's kind of on board with the plans for Unification. So great job in that role. Uh, great job as Commodore Mendez. It's so cool that he was actually able to stretch both from TOS all the way out to TNG. Um, so happy birthday and remembrances go out to Malachi Throne this week. Um, the only and other one that I have. Episodes, oh, both yeah. of those episodes are very Spock-centric episodes as well, too. Unification being the return. Excellent episodes. Yeah, they're, they're two very, very excellent episodes. The Menagerie is kind of the... Um, 
it's the TOS, it's the, it's the Captain Kirk uh, Star Trek version of the cage before they re, sort of re-released the cage as something that you could actually watch. It was a way for them to use some old footage, but it really centers around a court-martial of Spock. So you're right, Jim. Uh, astute observation. Happy birthday to Malachi Throne. Our other remembrance this week uh, goes out to uh, somebody who I think uh, is a really special member of the Star Trek uh, world. He's appeared many different times uh, in several different shows and movies. Uh, I'm talking about Ray Walston, who plays the character of Boothby. Mm-hmm. Um, he's from a lot of different places. Uh, he was in TNG's First Duty, uh, Voyager's The Fight, and In the Flesh. Uh, most recently, Charles and I, uh, as we read the new Janeway book by Una McQuarrie, will tell you that, of course, Boothby shows up in that book, too. Uh, I think he's one of those characters that is, uh, if you went to Starfleet Academy, you know who Boothby is, uh, you know how cool he is, Uh, he understands the students, you know, he's the groundskeeper, of course, Uh, but he's so much more than a groundskeeper. He pretty much knows everybody by name, pretty much knows everything that happens around campus, Uh, and he will look the other way every once in a while when a student does a very student-esque So that makes him an all right guy in my book. So happy birthday, and uh, we really do miss Ray Walston. He's, he's a great actor uh, and a fantastic character in the Star Trek universe. You guys want to say anything about Boothby? He, he was also my favorite alien, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. I wanted to throw that in there. No, no pun intended. Well, yeah, that That's was right. a pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. Yeah. Oh boy. All right. Well, uh, Charles, <laughs> why don't you take us through some of the folks who are with us on our birthdays this week? Okay. Well, I'm going to get to start off with Nathan Jung, who played Genghis Khan in the QS episode The Savage Curtain. <laughs> Sarah Silverman played Rain Robinson in Voyager's episode Futures and Parts One and Two. And I just want to say, Charles, that I'm a big Sarah Silverman fan, and I love that she was actually in Star Trek, and we can count her among our Star Trek um, family. That's just a lot of fun to me. Oh, very Yeah, good. She, she's we a unique, unique Ma- actress. She is. We got Warren Lewison with Vice Admiral Marcus Holt in TNG's Interface. And Vice Admiral Owen Harris in Voyager's Persistence of Vision. And I was reminded also by the Janeway book that actually in Janeway's early years, she served under Captain Owen Paris. So there you go, a little bit of beta canon for you about Warren Munson as uh, Owen Paris. Yep. Then we've got Dan... Luther plays Admiral Sam Ensign Sam Lavelle in TNG's episode Lower Deck. Then I had a special one in here that Jim didn't know about. A very warm happy birthday to Nathan Cornoff. That's one of our regular yeah. callers here, here in Las Vegas. Yeah, I just saw that name pop up on there. 
Yes, Nathan has joined us several times in the past. Uh Uh-huh. Well, happy birthday, Nathan. I thought it interesting when Uncle Jim over there liked my post that I was out with dinner with a friend Tuesday night. I just want to make a comment in the post the fact that that was Nathan's birthday party, birthday uh, dinner. Ah, I did see that. I saw that post. <laughs> but that's I did, I did, I did. I did. Oh, well, Jim, cool. what about you? Because I know you've got a few and a special one also. Oh, I've got a really good one. Let's start off with uh, Deep Roy, who plays Keiser in all the Star Trek Kelvin timeline movies. He also was a Oompa Loompa in the remake of Willy uh-huh. Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And now we've got a couple of Klingons. And I, I always get to do, I always give myself the Klingons cause, because I can. So I do. <laughs> so uh, <Yeah. laughs> we'll start off my with party. Brian Bonzo. That's right. It's my party and I do Klingons. <laughs> Unless they're dead, then they go to Eric. <laughs> if they're going to Stobacor. <laughs> If they're going to Stovacor, they go to Eric. Otherwise, they That's go to right. me. <laughs> That's right. So we're going to start off with Brian Bonsall, who played Alexander Rojenko in seven episodes of TNG. And the first time that we saw him was in the episode Reunion, which is one of my all-time, all-time favorite episodes of TNG, where Kalar comes back and uh-huh. she's killed by Duras. And Worf goes yeah. over and kills Duras. I just love that episode. I've watched of all the TNG episodes. That's the one I've watched the most, and I was so upset when they killed off Kalar because I loved her. Uh, so the next Klingon birthday that we're going to mention is Sterling Maser, who played Tog in the TNG episode Birthright Part One and Two. He was the full Klingon teenager on the planet that was having raging hormones, and Worf taught him how to how to roll a hula hoop around and throw a spear through it and uh, stuff like that. So. Happy birthday to Sterling Mazur. And I saved the biggest and the best oh, for last. And uh, so we have to we have to play the happy birthday. Well, there's a punk in the alley and he's looking for a fight. There's an Arab on the corner buying everything inside. There's a mother in the ghetto with another mouth to feed. Seems that everywhere you look today there's misery and greed. I guess you know the earth is going to crash into the sun. But that's no reason why we shouldn't have a little fun. So if you think it's scary, if it's Sending out a huge happy birthday uh, to this individual who, believe it or not, has has joined me on the 13th of August in 2015 on a show that I entitled The Wrath of GM Chris and Captain Stu. Still one of our most popular listened to episodes, and that was way back when uh, Attack Wing was at its highest, and GM Chris had a... uh, uh, YouTube channel and um, him and Stu would, would play attack wing games. They were amongst the first people that I ever saw playing 
the game, and it was called The Wandering Inn. And I asked GM Chris and Captain Stu to come on the show. They did. Huge, huge show. And uh, I had them back a couple of times after that, and I finally asked GM Chris to come on board as a regular. And he's been with me ever since. Now, we haven't been able to have him on lately because of this COVID and the work schedule, but uh, GM Chris edits our show out and sends it out to all you listeners on Odyssey Radio. That's GM Chris's work. And uh, he works on our videos. If you watch our videos on our Facebook page, GM Chris does those for us. And he's just an awesome, incredible guy. And uh, I would be here right now if it wasn't for GM Chris. So happy, happy birthday to GM Chris. We love you. We appreciate you. And we you know, we hope we get a chance to talk at some time again in the future. So happy yeah, birthday I just, to GM Chris. I just want to follow up on Jim's happy birthday to GM Chris. GM Chris is not only helping out with the show, but he, he does so many other things on the side. One of the things that he's done, we did a little bit uh, with our group here, our group of three. Uh, he's also an extremely awesome GM. And he uh, he runs Star Trek Adventures campaigns. I'm currently involved in a text-based uh, Star Trek Adventures campaign with him. He's so creative. He's looking at something new to do. He's, he like prints 3D sets uh, that he uses for adventures. He's always coming up with uh, cool ideas that are based on historical facts and that kind of stuff. So I just wanted to say a personal thank you and happy birthday to GM Chris for everything that he does, not only for the show. Um, but I consider him a good friend, and uh, he's really become a uh, part of my life over the last couple of years. And I, I think he's a really special guy. So happy birthday, GM Chris. For, for the community in whole, I, I, I think. Not yeah. just for yeah, us totally. here, but for the – Yeah. So yeah. happy I mean, birthday he's to those, GM Chris. He's one of those guys that just kind of gives, you know. He just sort of gives, and he yeah. doesn't really expect anything back. I mean, he always appreciates something back, of course, but he just gives. And I just – he's an amazing guy. So thank you so much for everything you do. Chris, GM Chris. Yes, happy birthday to GM Chris. Yeah, We're going to take our first break for our listeners over at Odyssey Radio. For the rest of our listeners, we'll be back after this quick message from Charles. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Sub Commander Charles from Trek Talking here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction themed podcast on the internet. Our elite team of hey, experts are here to discuss the current trends and the latest science Now we want to hear from you. Dial 646 668 2433 Thursday night from 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. Pacific Coast time. And we'll get you on the air to share your opinion. Or you can also find us on Facebook. We have faith that you will call. Oh, oh. And we're back. So uh, we got our birthdays, and we said happy birthday to GM Chris. And now it's time to talk about the Mandalorian. And for that, we got to get into it.
And we're going to be talking about the Mandalorian, uh, Chapter 13, The Jedi. And with us right now on the line is not GM Chris, but another birthday boy. And we have Nate. Happy birthday, Nate. Oh, well, hello. Thank you very much. I didn't know we had uh, so many uh, Trek talkers uh, with birthdays this week. Neither did I. (laughs) (laughs) What a quinky dink. What a coincidence, yes. <laughs> well, happy birthday, man. So, it's good to have you. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So how I, got, I guess I got here just in time for Mandalorian. Just in time. We yep. just played the just, theme music. We're, we just played the theme music, and we're about to jump right in. So this episode was actually a full-length episode. Uh, I, I think it clocked in at 44 <laughs> minutes, so... Jim, Jim I want to know episode. what your I want to know what your definition of full length episode is. Like, where does it where does it go from partial length episode to full length episode? Well, I think anything under forty minutes is a rip off. Forty minutes, um, okay. you know. I just want to know. So, you know like anything, is. anything less than forty minutes, you know, they have an hour of streaming. Yeah. So if it's if it's not over forty minutes, then then it's 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 a rip off. But at any rate, this one was 44 minutes, so it meets my, my standard of time. So congratulations on that one. And in this particular episode, Mandalorian continues his quest to return Baby Yoda, who now has a name, uh, to his, his followers, to the Jedi. And he meets up with one of my favorite characters, a character I always liked. I actually went to see uh, Clone Wars at the movie theater and was introduced to, to Snips. Of course, Ahsoka Tana. And uh, now we get to see her live action played by Rosario Dawson, which was no surprise because we knew it was coming. But to see her play the character and to see the character come to life was was awesome. And uh, Mandalorian teams up with her. Um, Yeah, we got some spoilers. It was last week. We're going to spoil it. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert. So he uh, hooks up with her and goes on a mission. And that's where we leave them. So who wants to dive in and start talking about Nate, the birthday boy? We'll let Nate go first, Nate. Oh, I get to go first? Oh, wow. Yeah, you're, you're the birthday boy. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see here. Um, I uh, Yeah, I knew that, uh, like everybody else, uh, eventually that uh, she was supposed to show up. Um, I'm still very disappointed. I guess it must be a Screen Actors Guild thing or something. I'm still dis- disappointed that Ashley didn't play the part, uh, that they had to go find uh, another actress. I mean, you have Katie Sackhoff playing Bo- Bo-Katan or whatever her name is, uh, in both live action and in voice, uh, but she's a regular actor, so that's why I'm saying I wonder if it's a Screen Actors Guild thing. Uh, that Ashley couldn't play her character, um, but uh, other than that, uh, it was—I uh, thought it was an all right show. Uh, um, good, to, good to see continuing because this is supposed to be like six years after Return of the Jedi. So good to see uh, continuing uh, existing characters being brought back. But in the same, as I say that, it also then this season would become the season of guest stars 
and no longer do you have the Mandalorian then starring in his own series. So that I do think that's a drawback to bringing all these existing characters uh, back. So, but overall, I enjoyed it. And did you notice who? I, I didn't catch the character's name, but did you notice who hit who the Mandalorian's uh, arch nemesis was in this episode? Uh, no, I don't know the character other than being in this episode. Uh, is it from a book, just like the uh, one that had Boba Fett's armor? He's um, he was played by Michael Bean, who of course we all know from Terminator and from Aliens. And I haven't seen oh. Michael Bean in a movie in in I uh, God, I don't even know how long it's. Been. It was nice to see Michael Bean back in sci-fi again and squaring off against the Mandalorian. I kept looking at him thinking, I know that guy. That guy looks so familiar. And I couldn't place him. And uh, mm. the credits, he was Michael Bean. So it was pretty cool to see Michael Bean. Now, was there anything and, special and I, about the Asian uh, towns guy that ended up being like mayor or something at the end? Uh, uh, was he in a, uh, another series or anything like that that you guys know of? I'm not. You know what? I'm not sure because um, I didn't follow the expanded lore of Star Wars. I didn't read every book other than the Admiral Thrawn series and every comic book that came out. So I honestly do not know. I just thought. Uh, Speaking of which. Uh, Speaking of which, I thought what was going to come out of Ahsoka's mouth when she questioned uh, the the female in charge of everything uh, of where her boss was. I thought Grand uh, not not the Grand Admiral was going to come out there. I thought the Grand Moff. That was actually a shock that because uh, I hadn't uh-huh. heard anything in the press that Thrawn was supposed to maybe make an appearance. So that was that was pretty shocking to me. Agreed. Well, I I will say that one one thing before we we jump into. Um, Eric and Charles. One thing I, I do agree. I, I really enjoyed last week's episode because Mandalorian was back on his mission with the Mandalorian um, uh, regulars. Let, let me put it that way. Up until now, we've had a bunch of guest shots with, with, with stormtroopers and with, with the rebel Alliance. And now we have Ahsoka Tana. And uh, so it was nice last week to see Mandalorian back with his people um, on a mission that involved him directly. Yeah. And I think that, I think that if they, when they're, when they're going to do guest stars, um, it has to be done in the right way. Like the way they, the way they had Riker and Troy show up on Picard. Um, it, it can't be like five episodes out of eight are all guest star episodes because then Mandalorian loses his, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, spotlight. Yeah. Is that the right word? Um, and he becomes a guest star on his own show. And that's what I yep. don't want to see happen. I don't want to see the Mandalorian become a guest star on the Mandalorian because Luke Skywalker showed up because Okasakatana showed up because Grand Admiral Thrawn showed up because Boba Fett showed up. That's what I'm afraid of. And that's yeah. what I don't want to see happen. But at any rate, uh, Charles, Eric, who wants to jump in next? Go ahead, Eric. Take okay. it away, Eric. Uh, yeah, I, man, I really dug this episode, guys. Uh, I, like Jim, am a big 
uh, of course, a Sokotano fan. Um, she, she comes from Clone Wars. I think she's probably the seminal character from that series, um, if you get right down to it at the end. Uh, and I think that she is being portrayed in a really nice way. She's, she kind of has this, um, you know, this uh, melancholy to her. Like, you can tell that she's somebody who has lived through uh, Order 66, and she has lived through the Clone Wars, and she has kind of come a long way. And um, she's not this kind of happy-go-lucky Padawan person that we that we see way back um, from the early Clone Wars episode. So I really appreciated that, I think. And, you know, I, I see what you're saying, uh, both Nathan and Jim, about bringing in kind of guest, you know, big-name guest stars or big-ticket guest stars. But I guess I what I'm seeing is that they're kind of bringing them in for one-shots here and there, and they're weaving a story that kind of shows how the Mandalorian actually has touched all of these different lives that we've seen in the Star, uh, Star Wars universe. So <clears throat> I'm not I'm not worried. I don't think that he's going to get overshadowed by any of these, um, you know, guest stars or anything. I think I think they're going to keep the focus on him. And obviously, uh, the focus I think in this episode hones in even more on uh, on our little baby Yoda, who, spoiler alert, Jim said has a name. Uh, his his little name is Grogu. And now that we know, uh, we know several more things about Grogu now than we knew before this episode. We know that he actually has some training in the Force. It's not just kind of an innate ability that he was actually left behind in a temple and he was he was trained. Um, so all the little things that he does or has been doing, and like what he does this episode where he unscrews that little ball he likes on the on the stir of the raisin uh, razor crest. <laughs> uh, you know he he's been trained to do all that kind of stuff. So I think I think that's pretty cool. Um, you know because he is 50 years old, so he should have some experience behind him. I'm not sure why he doesn't speak. Uh, I, whatever I'm going to say English, I don't know if Star Wars has a word for the language, galactic standard uh, whatever that is uh, I don't know why he doesn't speak that, but I think that that mechanism of him being able to speak has been um, part of what has made his relationship with the Mandalorian so special, they're just kind of it's like they understand each other without needing words uh, to do that, so so yeah, I really like this episode. I was totally surprised at the end, like you, Nathan, by the mention of Grand Admiral Thrawn, um, who, as far as I know, the only thing I know him from is the Timothy Zahn novels from way back in the day. The first novels were kind of published after Return of the Jedi uh, came out. So it'll be interesting to me to see if they follow his story from those books at all. I mean, he was kind of sort of in charge of the Remnant Empire in those books, from what I remember. It's been quite a long time since I read them, but uh, you know, we already have people like the Moff right now, so Grand Admiral, and maybe he is in charge of the Remnants, uh, and that'd be cool to be him. So, yeah, I, I could keep going on, but I want to give Charles a chance. I really dug this episode. Uh, so many cool things about it. It felt very Star Wars to me, which I really appreciate. Charles, it's your turn. All right. Well, I thought the combat scenes definitely were they're interesting. I liked how um, our main character was kind of held away from the main combat so the Sokatana could 
individually battle this person. That was everything. But I thought we finally got something we've been looking for. We finally got some of the growth, some of the backstory of our baby Yoda. Where we're starting to better understand who he is. I'm still want more details explained to what happened on the scientific science lab that we found at last week. But I look forward to saying, okay, we're progressing. We're, we're doing something we've been needing to do. We're progressing the story. We're also realizing that he has some very strong ties to Mando. Very interesting that he's got these kind of ties where he's not he's not really ready to let go of his contact. He wants to stay with him because of the bond they created. And I thought that was very interesting to see that that bond is being created there. But overall, definitely, I'm still trying to get through all of Rebels because I keep getting sidetracked on other things. But definitely, I picked up a lot of Sokantana from the ser- from the from the animated series, and definitely she's an interesting character to then brought back the series, and definitely a nice focus for the fans. You know, Jim, one of the things that I really noticed about this episode, you're always talking about music, but one of the things that I noticed about this episode was how silent much of it was. Did you notice that, like, uh, there were a lot of times when Ahsoka kind of in the woods, she would disappear and then she all of a sudden take out somebody and then they disappear. A lot of that actually took place in complete silence without any sort of soundtrack going on in the background. And so I thought that was a cool counterpoint to, you know, you're saying how much soundtracks play a part in the story. Um, just like musicians say, you know, the space between the notes is sometimes just as important as the notes that you play. That was true episode where the, the space between the soundtrack was just as important to show how kind of ninja stealthy she was. And also they um, she had two lightsabers with the bent hilts which she always had on the animated series and Rebels which was awesome. Um, but she didn't actually, if you paid attention she never killed anybody. We never actually saw her lightsabers slice through anybody. They edited it very clever where there was a guy behind a tree and she slices the tree in half and we see the tree fall, but we don't see the lightsabers going through him. We see them go through the tree and the tree falls, so we know what happened to him. And then there's another guy who's in front of a giant um, bell and she slices him in half and we see the bell fall and roll off the, the top of the wall, but we don't see the guy actually get sliced in half. So they edited it in such a way that uh, there wasn't really any any bloodshed. You didn't actually get to really see her slicing and dicing anybody. So I thought that was clever the way they edited that. I don't know yeah, if anyone else makes, noticed that. Yeah, I did notice it, and it makes it more family friendly. I mean, I know a lot of families who are watching this show right now, and you know, I, I know that society is what society is, and we have meetings on all this stuff right now. But uh, to tell you the truth, I don't think you need to see the person, you know, sliding. And I think, I think if this were a movie situation, you would see that. But it's a television show, and they've made that decision to make it a little bit more family-friendly. So I don't want to take anything away from the actual act 
tension and kind of suspense of the show. So, yeah, I did notice that, Jim, and I actually appreciate that they did that. Now, I keep hearing rumors that we're going to see Luke Skywalker. Now, I, I don't know if that's true or not. I really don't. But um, one of the things I've noticed, and this could just be because, you know, it's 2020 now. It's not 1977 anymore, you know, so this could be the whole whole reason. But um, did you notice that Ahsoka Tana is like the ultimate Jedi of, of all the Jedi we've seen? She's like the most Jediest Jedi of all. And she does things that we've never seen Jedi do before. And um, I'm wondering if that's just because of technology or because she's an awesome Jedi. Well, she's not a Jedi, though. i got to correct myself. She's not a Jedi. <laughs> I mean, she's basically... No, because she... Uh, no, I know, I know. Well, she, she's ba- she got thrown yeah. out of the Jedi Order right before Order uh, 66. And when they proved that she was innocent, they asked her to come back, and she wouldn't. So she never completed her Jedi training, so she's not actually really a Jedi. And, I put a little bit of technically I put, speaking. I put a little bit of thought into this question, Jim, and I I think that um, what we're just seeing more of a distinction between Jedi and not Jedi than we used to see in the past. I mean, when Luke Skywalker was first introduced back in the seventies, the big deal was that he could move objects with his mind, right? And that was and and the Jedi mind trick that we see uh, Obi Wan do, we see some Force jokes from uh, from Darth Vader, that sort of thing. But um, I would say that the movies have still shown that Skywalker is still the ultimate Jedi because we still haven't seen anybody else doing stuff like Force projection, which to me is kind of the ultimate. You be pretty badass Jedi to do stuff like that. But what we have seen is what we saw throughout. Um, both the Clone Wars and the little tiny bit that saw her rebel, that she's a heck of a fighter. And I think that that actually continues in here. We don't see her do too much else other than fight. She does some really cool, like, force things where she sort of, like, tosses things around and that kind of stuff while she's flipping around. But um, I don't think she's the ultimate Jedi, but she's one heck of a fighter. I'd put her up against, you know, Darth Maul any old day. <laughs> I, I think, and there was a line. I love the line when she when she says to the Mandalorian, she can't train him because his connection to Mando is too strong, and she's seen the path that that can take a Jedi down. Of yeah. course, referring to Anakin Skywalker, Anakin. aka yeah. Darth Vader, um, which I thought was a pretty cool reference to throw in there for anyone that knows. But um, I believe, and maybe Nate can clarify it. I believe that. She's what they refer to as a gray Jedi, right, Nate? From from Star Wars Rebels, she was a gray Jedi. Uh, well, it, uh, with with gray Jedi, you have like the Bendu uh, in Rebels, the big giant creature, Force creature. Um, he, I think, would be the only one that I would, because he was all about the balance, um, light and dark. Um, but I guess that's what most people call her, although the, the name, the title of the episode was The Jedi. So uh, according to our writers and directors of this series, she's a Jedi. Whether that's I mean, gray or not. That's, that's true. You can, you can still be a Jedi and, 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 you know, you're still a gray Jedi. 
But I just I remember I remember that she she didn't identify as a Jedi, is what I'm saying. Yeah. In the episode, yeah. the title is Jedi, but um, she yeah. herself and you were right. Identify. You you were right about like in the when they redid the last season of uh, Clone Wars. Yoda did, uh, I believe, ask her to come back, and and she didn't in in those, that scene where uh, uh, she showed up, uh, and they were all talking. You had the holograms of all the masters were talking, or at least uh, at least Obi Wan, Mace, and and uh, Yoda were holograms in that uh, briefing room in the last season of um, during the Mandalorian saga of the final season of Clone Wars. And I think she she was invited by Yoda back, but she said no, I can't go back or something like that. Yeah, she she turned down Yoda and uh, basically said nope, I'm fine on my own, dude. And she walked away. And I also yeah, uh, she used to have green lightsabers. And uh, um, was it was it Anakin that gave her the white ones? I forgot no. about how she got the white ones. Now, she gives up her lightsabers at the end of Clone Wars when she decides not to be a Jedi anymore, so she gives up the green blade ones. And then I think we find out in Rebels that she actually made white-bladed lightsabers. She got uh, kyber crystals from somebody, like a bad guy somewhere else in the way. She got kyber crystals. She purified them, which is what makes the blades white versus uh, I think they start out as red crystals. So... Yeah, there, it is a totally different set of lightsabers, but we do see them uh, in Rebels because, of course, she, she lost the green ones back in Clone Wars. Now, those aren't the ones that Anakin gave her during the Darth, the Darth Maul uh, wrap-up of Rebels because didn't he give her a pair of lightsabers in that episode? They were doing improved, I think. I'm not clicking on that. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, that would be the ones, I guess, if those are the ones. Maybe maybe I need to go back and watch that again. I thought that she made these. But, but yeah, I as, as Fulcrum, I think she made these uh, right? while she was Fulcrum in, in uh, Rebels. Rebels, right. Yeah, interesting. But overall, though, um, like I said, I did enjoy it, and I thought Rosario Dawson played a, played a really great Ahsoka Tana. I was really impressed with her. Um, some people were mentioning the fact that her, I don't know what you call them, her neck, what would you call those things? Her neck hangers? Because I think they call them the yeah. same thing Twi'leks call them, and that would be leku. Something, something uh, yeah, like that. Yeah, that they, that they, were, cool. they were too short be, uh, compared to what they were on the animated series that they were longer, but you know what? She's older. Maybe they shrink up with age. You know, who knows? That, that didn't really, uh, that didn't really bother me. I was just, I thought that Rosaria Dawson played an excellent, um, Ahsoka Tana. I really bought her portrayal of the character and you're right. She was an excellent fighter and, uh, you know, she's going after Grand Admiral Thrawn, which, which is good. Um, because I think she would take out Moff Gideon in, in a heartbeat. But yeah. at any rate. You would think, so, I don't think Moff uh, Gideon has any force powers or anything. He's just got a cool lightsaber. Yeah, and we know uh, that uh, Boca wants it back. So we'll see where that takes us. 
So uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up. We'll wrap up the Mandalorian. We'll, we'll go around the room one more time, get our final thoughts and our score. So we'll start off with the birthday boy himself, Nathan. So, Nathan, what are my your final turn. thoughts on uh, uh, the, the Mandalorian, and what would you give it on a score of 1 to 10? Uh, final thoughts? Uh, let's see. Um, kind of disappointed that they actually named uh, Baby Yoda. Um, <laughs> I liked I liked yeah. the, the secretiveness uh, of uh, just calling him the child or Baby Yoda, um, but uh, you know they, they everybody has a name. Uh, have you guys seen since they uh, since Ahsoka said, oh yeah, he was being trained at a temple or the temple at, at Coruscant? Uh, have you guys seen some of the memes that have come up of uh, him uh, him kind of hiding out uh, when Anakin goes and kills all the younglings and he's like, oh. <laughs> Um, yeah see see if you can find some of those memes they're pretty good Um, so overall though uh, I thought it was great I I still want to know when Beskar uh, became a thing because in the past it was Cortosis Weave that was all about uh, um, you know the the coolest thing the most expensive thing that lightsabers couldn't do anything to Cortosis Weave and now all this Beskar stuff is around so I I would like to know what happened to Cortosis Weave maybe sometime in the future of this show uh, overall though uh, pretty good I'd give it about an eight um, out of ten ten excellent Eric how about you yeah I think I'm right in that same zone I'm gonna go just a little higher because I really like the advancement of the Yoda story which I think is was probably the most important part of, sorry, Baby Yoda story, probably the most important part of this episode. So I'll give it a 8.4. Excellent. Charles, how about you? I think I'm going to go with with Nate on this one. I'm going to go with an 8. Definitely got a progress on the story. I just hope we're not you just need to go look, get a get a little bit away from just the uh, Hulk syndrome of the victim of the week, or the person that needs help every week. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to go with a I'm going to go with like an eight point five simply because I thought the lightsaber. Uh, battles that Sokatana had were just awesome, and it was you know we found out a little bit about Baby Yoda. We found out his name, which I'm really not too fond of. He's still Baby Yoda to me, um, but yeah, I'm gonna go with an 8.5. And we have to take another commercial break, guys. So for our listeners over at Odyssey Radio, you're gonna listen to a couple commercials. But for the rest of our listeners, we're gonna hear from our other birthday boy himself, GM Chris. And then we come back. We got a caller on the line that we're going to get to, and we're going to dive into our fan scores for Unification Three, and then we're going to talk about it ourselves. So we're going to have some spoiler alerts. So please be prepared for that. And um, our number here is six four six 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 eight two four three three. Run, don't walk to the bathroom. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back after we hear this message from GM Chris. This is Chris from Trek Talking and Beyond, here to invite you to join us for the best science fiction-themed podcast on the Internet. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and other sci-fi-related content, and we want to hear from you. Dial 646-668-2433. 
on Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. on East Coast time. Hailing frequencies are always open and we'll get you on the air to share your opinions. We have faith. You will call. And we're back. We're going to be talking about Unification Part 3. And we do have a caller on the line, but I think we know who this person might be. If my phone will answer. There we go. Good evening. Thank you for calling Trek Talking. What's your name and where are you calling us from tonight? Hi, I'm David Wayland. I'm calling from Portland, Oregon. David! Hey, I thought that was you, Dave. What's happening, buddy? Hey, um, I'm back. I had a, a little bit of complication over the last couple of weeks, but I'm I'm fine now, so I'm doing good. How are you guys? That's good. We're doing great. We missed you. We uh, missed you. <laughs> but we're we glad sure that you're back, and you're you're back just in time to join our Unification 3 conversation. And what we usually do if you guys have listened to the show before is we I put up a post on our Facebook page, and we ask the fans, to rate the episode and then we read the, what the fans thought about it and Eric will or not Eric Charles will total up what the fan score was and then we will discuss the episode amongst ourselves and we'll score it and we'll see just how close we came with the fans on our Facebook page so that's the way we that's the way we do it and we'll start off with Eric so Eric you want to jump in and tell us what the fan reaction was to unification part three Absolutely. The first fan we heard from this week was James Lowe, who said a 10. I don't know if it was because I watched it on Thanksgiving without the norms of family and friends around, but the episode pushed all my emotional buttons. Haven't felt so much emotion from Discovery since Burnham's speech at Federation HQ in the final episode of season one. So James Lowe really dug this episode. Uh, Miloka Patosha said she gave it a seven. Story was bold and okay. But uh, you'd think that they would have mastered Steadicam technology by the 29th century. Uh, the days of giving a shoulder cam to some homeless guy who had had the equivalent of a five-martini lunch should have been left ridiculed centuries earlier. Didn't like the camera work. Uh, Eric Myers said 9.5. Loved the Spock scene from TNG and how her mother brought the truth uh, from Burnham and all reason for doing what she wants to do to research the burn. Greg Martin gave it a solid. Damon Collins said, definitely 10 brilliant episode. Amazing episodes. Always love seeing the great LN as Spock. Leonard Nimoy, of course. Nicholas John Hurl said, uh, 10. This is one of the best ones yet. Finding the Orions and Andorians a bit weird to watch. The Andorian guys look like, oh, this must have been a review about the previous one. Uh, <laughs> but he had some opinions about how the Andorians look and how the uh, Orions look. Love all the history connections coming into place and loose ends being tied up in the storylines. Um, thinking Book's cat, maybe the cat for Gary Seven's TOS, so she'll turn into a cat woman, sort of when no one's looking. Maybe am I just fantasizing? I don't know. That could be pretty interesting. Uh, top fan Bob Love says, so boring, gave it a one. Karen Hinckley says, 10, intense. Tom Stoffel says, 8.5. Daniel Cazurlo says, 9 to 10. And Damon Collins says, definitely 10. Grand episode. Amazing tie-in with TNG. Always love seeing Spock. So, Charles, who else was watching this episode and giving us some opinions this week? Okay, we got John Stonechild. 
I'll give it a 10 plus. Seeing a bastard Fox in the original series was the best surprise ever. Sure, I believe John's one of our top fans. A top fan. Then I got Matt Delaplane, 10. I liked how they linked the next generation and Picard. Lee McQueen gave it a 2. Resna H. I see him. With all the tribute that they did, I didn't think Ken would be would do them enough justice. I'll give them a hundred. Oh yeah, I missed that hundred in my score. So gave it a ten. Roku Yoy gave it a three. Michael Singleton gave it a ten point one. Patrick Flat Broad gave it a 10. Michael Martinez, or excuse me, gave it an 8. Michael Martinez gave it a 10. Sanzar Esther gave it a 1. And Ahim Ben gave it a 9 out of him. What about your crew? Wow, we're all over the place here, aren't we? Either they loved it or they hated it. So, uh, Susan and Saw. Uh, Sokolsky, who's a top fan, gave it a 10. Uh, Camellia dryberg Borenchen says, it seemed a lot rushed to me, 7.5. I love the episode, though, and I love Tilly more and more. It just should have been a double episode, and then more info on the Romulans and Vulcans. It seemed too easy for Burnham to convince them to give her what she needed. That part went too fast. Just cry, and you get whatever you want. Uh, Dan Cossinger, 10, one of my best episodes of the series. Top fan, Sharon R. Taylor Viler said 9.5. It was very nicely done. Top fan, Fran Tyler gave it a 9. Kelly Gwynn Long gave it a 9.5. William Robert Tinsweed gave it a 10. He says it's my favorite episode so far. Aaron Clements gave it a 10 and said it was beautifully done. Stephen John Sisko gave it a 9.5. And wrapping up our fans' evaluation for this week, we have Martin Kiesner, who gave it a 10. So, Charles, what was our overall fan rating? Okay, well, I missed that 100 when I was looking at my original edition. So that little 100 over there brought the final total to an 11.5. But if I drop the 100 and drop a couple of ones, we have a nine. Ties us for uh, episode two in the fan book. The dropping outliers is cheating. Well, the dropping the, the true thing. The dropping the hundred is totally legal. The dropping the ones is probably not. But yeah, anything that's outside of a ten, you can't keep those, Nathan. <laughs> Well, we still rounded off to a nine. We still rounded off to a nine. 
Mm-hmm. So overall, fans and, still brought this one tied with episode two. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it's kind of surprising, actually. That's very interesting. So uh, we're going to yep. dive in and talk about it now. And before we do that, I have to give you guys a warning. Black alert, y'all. Yep. We are about to make the jump to some serious spoiler territory. It- there you go. You've been warned by Will Wheaton. <laughs> so no hate mail. <laughs> okay. Don't, uh, don't send us messages that we ruined the episode for you. And it's a week old anyway. So you, you should have already seen it. If, if you're a Star Trek fan, you should have already yep. seen this one. I think that's a safe assumption. So, diving right into it, we continue our story from last week, and uh, Burnham's been demoted to science officer. She's hanging out with Book on his ship, doing the down and dirty, contemplating leaving Starfleet and taking off with Book to be a courier because she doesn't fit in with Starfleet. Um, Grudge is still flying the ship around. Who knows? Maybe Grudge (laughs) is like Isis's cat. Who knows? (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, be interesting. But Giorgio did make a comment, though, about the cat, which got me thinking about the cat being a hologram or something along those lines. So we don't know. But anyways, you know, Grudge can fly the ship. That's cool. And so we're back on the Discovery, and um, Saru demotes Burnham and is looking for a new first officer, an interim First officer, meaning someone to serve until he picks a permanent person. That's what interim means. And uh, we have all kinds of stuff going on on the ship. The biggest one of all is Burnham decides that they have to go to Vulcan, which is no longer called Vulcan, now called Navarre. And the reason why it's called Unification 3 is because in Unification 1 and 2, Spock tried to unify the Vulcans and Romulans, and they finally unified. Let's not forget, though, that the Romulan Empire went boom in Star Trek Picard. So I have to think that the loss of their home world had a lot to do with them ending up on Vulcan. I'm assuming they, and that was never actually said, but I I have to assume that the fact that the Romulans had nowhere to go played a big part in them being on on Navarre in the first place. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see what... I totally agree with you. And actually, and you're actually talking about Nemesis. It happens in Nemesis, not Picard. And I am very interested in the fact that they didn't actually specifically mention the destruction of Romulus. We have to assume that that's why everybody was to not actually mention it by name. Which was interesting. Yeah, they never specifically said it, which I thought was strange because the whole, the whole, the whole thing behind Picard was, he left because the Federation abandoned him and let them all die, and it pissed him off, and he left. So we know it happened, but they didn't actually say that. So for me, I'm assuming that the Romulans went there because they had nowhere else to go. Now, the um, Polat Malat are also there, and when, when Burnham decides, well, we're going to get to the bottom of this, and she invokes some ancient Vulcan ritual, uh, something like that and uh, no it's uh, Takel Intet Takel Intet that's it and they have to give her a hearing so 
the Romulans and the Vulcans come aboard the ship. They're going to have a hearing. They're going to decide what to do. Are they going to give out their information to the Federation? And that's where, that's pretty much the episode is them talking about this whole situation. We hear a lot of Spock mentioned and, uh, you know, stuff like that. We find out that the quote, the, the, uh, the uh, sister that represents her turns out to be none other than her mother. Weird. And uh, she drags some truth out of her. And Saru tours the, the Vulcan president around the ship and kind of makes a good impression with her. And, uh, yeah, the episode ends. And, oh, well, uh, yeah, uh, we also get a, a new intern first officer being Tilly. And we get a new, well, new, we get someone in engineering, uh, Adira Gray, who's in engineering now with Stamets. Um, bah, 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 bah. Did I miss anything? No, I think, I think I got it all. So anyway, that's where we start off, and that's where the episode. So who wants to jump in and start off first? Eric? Charles? Uh, sure. Nathan? David? Sure, yeah, I can. Oh, yeah. We should probably start with David. David, do you want to start us off this week? Yeah, David. Um, sure, yeah. <laughs> um, I really actually thought this episode was interesting because of the fact that um, they actually had, like, an old clip from the TNG series where they showed Spock's face. And I thought that was pretty cool and a very uh, cool, uh, I don't know, memory in a sense. But, yeah, all the talk about the unification and how you mentioned that the Romulans uh, didn't mention anything about their home world blowing up makes me wonder if um, this particular show is actually trying to link the J.J. Abram 2009 movie in with this series because as they went through the time portal, they don't just go full time. They, what if they just switch to an alternate universe, which is the J.J. Abram? So maybe Romulus had not been destroyed yet. I don't know. And another thing, too, is that um, with this whole unification stuff, the uh, Vulcan's uh, planet switching their name to the Navarre, I thought that was kind of an interesting, too, because I'm not exactly sure what the Navarre means in Vulcan, but I've heard that name over the course of Star Trek series. And I thought, I mean, because some of the names left in the Enterprise, they've given them that name to one of the ships. So I was like, it must be a very important name. I don't know what it means, but <laughs> uh, um, I thought it was kind of an interesting uh, spinoff about this whole time travel that maybe J.J. Abrams' TV, uh, the movie is actually going to be coming in with crisscrossing with the TV show. So, I don't know, kind of an interesting series. Yeah, David, there's an interesting yeah. interview that was done with Kristen Beyer, who, of course, was the writer of this uh, episode, and she actually says that the name Navarre in Vulcan essentially means two forms. Uh, an object that can be examined from two different viewpoints or having two different natures. So uh, it actually was coined way back in the 1960s in a Star Trek fanzine. And then, of course, um, you may remember in Enterprise, there was actually a Surat-class vessel called the Navarre yeah. as well. So, yeah, that's, that's what that means. So it is a it is a special name that actually has been around since the 60s, 
Uh, and I think it's very appropriate for a world that has come together and kind of joined two, uh, two people who maybe come from a same origin, but have been pretty uh, desperate from one another for a very long time. Wasn't there also an interview about Chris Pine trying to see about getting into the discovery? I thought that was something that was happening. Um, that well, I am not familiar with. I don't know. I will. I'll. I'll, I'll say this, Dave. Um, we don't do Star Trek news anymore because we took that segment out and filled it with Mandalorian. But an article okay. about they they canceled Noah Hawley's Star Trek uh, movie. They, they they pulled the plug on it. Done. And um, they're leaning more towards either um, Quentin Tarantino's movie or the one that um, that uh, uh, Scotty, um, whose name escapes me right now, um, that Simon actor Pegg. Simon Pegg was working on. The, the interesting thing yeah. is that um, both of those movies were going to have the Kelvin Universe people in them. Noah Hawley's movie was not. They were going to go in a completely different direction with a completely different crew. And I think that the new owners of Paramount decided, I don't know this for, I'm just spitballing this, but it's the way I understand it. They decided that they wanted to stick with, with a already pre-established crew of Chris Pine and, and the rest of those guys, because they've already been in the movies for the last three movies. And rather than creating a whole new cast or a whole new everything, they felt more confident sticking with what has been established. Having said that, though, that doesn't necessarily mean that it would be in the Kelvin universe, and that's where things get sticky because we've heard that they wanted to have Chris Hemsworth come in and weave it back from the Kelvin universe into the Prime universe. Now, I don't know yeah. if the Quentin Tarantino story or the Simon Pegg story had that because the article doesn't clarify that, but um, to answer your question, they they do want to use Chris Pine and that crew in the next movie, but I don't know if it's going to be the Kelvin universe or I. Mm-hmm. I hope I didn't confuse you anymore. Well, uh, no, I just curious. And one way or another, it, it's nice to just actually have an official tie. I mean, like I said, they didn't actually say it on screen, but it's nice to kind of. It seems like we actually, for the first time, have an official tie between the Kelvin universe and, or I always say universe, Kelvin timeline and this timeline with this episode and the Romulans actually being now on Navarre. And, yeah, but and something else that I really like. Well, I mean, you know, the planet's gone. So they're probably not all on Navarre, but I would assume that their, that their home planet is now Navarre. Now, now Jim, yeah. I, we're not going down rabbit holes quite yet, but I have a big question. And it actually comes not from the JJ universe, but not, but actually from Nemesis. Where were the Remans in all of this negotiating? Because certainly, when Romulus blew up in the JJ movies, that must have affected the Remans seriously as well, right? So, are they all dead, or why were they not part of this negotiation either? We kind of had these Romulo Vulcans who were in the middle as a third party. I wonder why the Remans were well, a third party. Romulus planet is pretty huge. It probably stopped most of the shockwave from that explosion. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, yeah, but I mean, they yeah, come yeah. from a planet. I, they come from a moon. That's isn't it a moon? Isn't Remus a moon, or is it another? No, planet? it's a it's an actual planet. Uh, it might have been a moon, but it always just faced one side of the sun. Right, which is why it's got the hot side and the cold side. And but if the planet, one way or another, if it's a close planet, 
if it's a moon, <laughs> when the host planet blows up, uh, things ain't going to be too good anymore. In fact, we had yeah. that same thing yeah. happen with Kronos and Praxis, right? We had the same kind of relationship. Major League sunscreen is needed for that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did though. I did want to point out one thing that David that I thought was really cool. They they did this. <clears throat> excuse me. They did this in Discovery with Pike, and they did it here with Spock. And they had we actually got to see all three character actors that have played Spock um, all together in one episode. So there's no doubt in anyone's mind now that the young Spock that we see with Michael Burnham in Discovery, that the bearded Spock that we played by Ethan Peck on season two of Discovery. And Leonard Nimoy's Spock that we've seen through all of Star Trek are indeed the one and same Spock. That's been put to rest, no doubt, no question at all. So now we know that that's all the same Spock at different points in his lifetime, in his career with the Federation and Starfleet. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool, the way they showed us that. Yeah, because some that people still get, was you know. supposed to be. It was I think that scene was actually supposed to be the kind of it happened right in the middle of the episode. Pretty much, it was supposed to be the major connector back to Unification Two. They actually spliced together two different scenes um, from Unification Two to put together that clip, and it was great because it catches that like as a storytelling device. What it did was it caught the crew up to what had happened in their previous future now they're far flung past um and it's information that us as viewers already have so it was cool that they were able to do that give a little bit of fan service and then also catch up all the characters at the same time so that now everybody's on the same page now michael knows oh yeah romulans and vulcans came from the same planet my brother did all this cool stuff so i i really liked that scene there were some camera things like little tiny complaints like you know they show Book and Michael watching that thing from about three different views, and yet Spock is always facing us, is always facing the camera. So I guess the hologram doesn't have a back or doesn't have a side. Little, little kind of things that pull you out of the moment a little bit, but still a really good scene. Hmm. Yeah, I thought, I, thought that was, I thought that was pretty cool that they, that they did that. You know that they pulled uh, pulled underneath. It, it would have been it, what it would have been nice. I've said this before. It wasn't a big thing, but I know that they film more stuff than they show on the episode. And it would be nice when they do something like that if they use something from the cutting room floor that we haven't all seen a million times over the past thirty years, and said, okay, well here's an alternate take of that scene that wasn't in the episode, just so that those of us that have seen the episode a thousand times would say, oh wow, wow, look, it's it's a different version. You know, uh-huh. just a little Easter egg, like you know, would be nice. Mm. But, That'd be cool. N- you know, not not enough to to make me. You know, it was still nice to. Any time that we get to see and hear Leonard Nimoy on Star Trek, I'm all for it. So yeah, um, I thought that was cool. You know, I thought I that was got, really cool. I actually got something to say about what Eric mentioned about the Remans, about where they might be, and I was just thinking, remember how the Remans were. Which then constructed that bird of prey that could cloak while firing, or that whatever it was called. What if they built more than one, and what if they become the new antagonist of the, uh, you know, the enemy of the against the Discovery crew or something? Like, what if they just show up somewhere? And it's like, 
you know, <laughs> they got like a secret base somewhere far away or something. I don't know. Yeah, they could have got some see... hands on board yeah, technology. I mean, right now, Discovery is setting itself up to be a show where we're kind of, uh, I won't say fighting against ourselves, but we're, we're trying to solve problems that we ourselves created rather than in previous Star Treks where you've always had kind of an alien species that's creating whatever the rub is that we have to fix. Now, yeah. Discovery is in a completely different realm where it's like no we or somebody out there likely did something that caused this whole shenanigans that we have to go out and solve. So it's more like looking in the mirror and, uh, you know, taking a good hard look in the mirror, I guess, versus that. What if they, old what if they were the ones responsible the for the uh, lithium exploding? Well, that, that, that could be interesting. And we get, uh, you know, there are some clues in this episode. I'm sure Jim will get to here eventually about, um, you know, the fact that now we know the burn has an origin and, and that kind of stuff, which, which I think makes it far more compelling than it all literally happened at the same time and how in the world could that ever happen across thousands of light years. So, guys, and don't forget the for Q. Odyssey Radio. We're going to take our, uh, another break for the night. Uh, we're going to hear from Jamie, but don't touch your dial. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jamie from Chep Talking, here to invite you to join us for the best sci-fi themed podcast. Our elite team of Trexperts are here to discuss Star Trek and sci-fi themed content. Call 646-668-2433 Thursday nights from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. Eastern Coast Time. We can't wait to hear from you. Live long and prosper. And welcome back, guys. We have so, so much to talk about that we may actually go over tonight. And if we do, if you're listening to us over on Odyssey Radio or if you're listening to us live and we get cut out, you'll have to go to our link to blogtalkradio.com backslash trektalking, and you'll be able to hear the entire episode once GM Chris works his magic and uploads the entire thing. So don't worry. If we get cut off, you can still listen to the whole podcast. So... We're talking about Unification Part 3. we got a lot to talk about. Um, it was tough for me to pull some sound bites that I felt summed up the episode uh, because there was just uh, so much. So I'm just going to dive right in, and we're going to start. And uh, uh, this first one is called Tilly and Burnham. Hey, Saru demoted me. Yeah. Hey, um... You put me in a really horrible position with Saru and with the Admiral when you went off on your own. It would have been so much worse if I had told you. My choice. Not yours. I'm sorry, Dilly. This transition has been difficult for all of us. I had to go. I had. The truth is, I don't know how I fit in anymore. So here we have uh, Burnham talking about not fitting in, which seems which which is one of the threads that flows through this episode. And she wants to take off with Book and Grudge, who flies the spaceship, and go out and be Courier. And 
she's actually talking about leaving at this point. So she apologizes to Tilly, and she's going to leave. And this is one of the plot threads that runs through the episode of her not fitting in and her wanting to leave. Um, Anybody want to say anything about this clip before I move on to the next one? Okay. Charles, you want to say so, Charles, do you want to say if Charles doesn't go ahead. One thing I might throw into this, I think you kind of get a little bit showing the strength of Tilly. Tilly yeah. is becoming a very stronger character. She, yeah, I think. No. She's showing a lot of energy saying, okay, you're doing this. It's like, She's throwing a little bit of command in there. She's throwing a little stronger character. This is a little different Tilly than we're used to. And Tilly's saying, showing some, is showing some serious growth this season from what she's done before. You, you know what, Charles? I, I, I'm glad you said that because when I was watching this episode and what was going on and uh, – the episode that was on today, I kept getting pulled back to Uma's book, Beyond the Stars, where we got to read about Tilly's background. And all these things that happen that we see in this episode just right into that book perfectly. And I'm like, wow, that was one of my favorite books that we've read so far. And we just keep, I keep seeing more fruit come out of that, uh, of that yeah. book. Charles, you're you're right. This does show growth in Tilly. I think what it also shows, which I think is something that they're doing a really good job in the Discovery, is that it shows what a good friend Tilly is to Michael. Because I think only somebody who is a good friend of yours that is really invested in you growing as a person and that sort of thing, that's the only person who's going to bring this type of thing up the way that Tilly did. She didn't she wasn't criticizing, but she was like, listen, you put me in a really hard spot. If you want us to be friends, you, that's not something you can do. She's setting boundaries. And I think that's really good. Yeah. Doing One thing that Star Trek has always done is it's sort of led by example. It's shown you, you know, here's how you be a decent human being to one another. And I thought that scene in particular was really good for that. Yeah. Now, David, did you want to want to add anything? Well, I was just going to say that um, she definitely feels more confident in this episode than any other previous throughout the season. But, I mean, yeah, it's about pretty much all I can think about right now. (laughs) So there was something I wanted to mention to you guys, because this is something that Leslie and I, and it's a little bit off topic, but I want to get the opinion of you guys. Leslie and I have talked about on Stunt Trek, and that is, that um, there's a lot of people out there, including Leslie, who doesn't trust Admiral Vance and doesn't trust the Federation and thinks that something is going on with the Admiral and the Federation and that maybe maybe the Federation are the bad guys here. Maybe they're not the same Federation that we've, that we've grown to know and that maybe Discovery is on the wrong side of the tracks here. And... Um, <laughs> I wanted to get your guys' opinion. What do you think about that? Do you, do you think that's a an accurate critique so far? Are you concerned yeah, about Yeah, probably a bunch of Lehman spies. And they're shapeshifters. <laughs> <laughs> but that's an interesting theory, though. I never think? really actually put it that way. 
What do you think, Eric? Um, yeah, so, uh, well, I think it's clear, like, it was clear to me in this last episode that Vance is hiding something. When um, Michael brings up MP19, he gets kind of a look on his face like, oh, no, 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 we don't talk about that. Uh, and he kind of plays it off as we have to get the data from the Vulcan, the Vulcans won't give it to us, and da, 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 da. So I definitely think that there's something that's being hidden right now. Um, they have not been fully coming in. It's his prerogative, Admiral, to not be completely forthcoming. But what I think that Discovery will do is they will take what first seems like a nefarious thing, and they'll show how it could be totally reasonable and how you could see this thing from multiple viewpoints. And, you know, maybe the Federation did cause burn, or maybe the Federation did do this or that, but they did it um, with goodness in their hearts, so to speak. <laughs> um, I think that they will take the Federation and completely vilify them at all. I think that you would have uh, you'd have people riding in the streets with torches and pitchforks if they did that. But I think that they can show another side of them that is currently hidden right now. Vance, Vance definitely stuff. Because, I mean, the Vulcans left the Federation. They weren't happy. A lot of other planets left the Federation. And so, you know, something, something's well, happening I mean, there. They, but, like, in this, I mean, what they talk about in this episode is they say the, the Vulcans left the Federation because the Federation ordered them to continue research on a, on a, on a project that the Vulcans considered extremely dangerous. And so the reason the Vulcans left the Federation was that the Federation was forcing them to do something that they didn't want to do, which is not a very Federation principle. So I do think that that's kind of an interesting, you know, the Federation lost a founding member because they didn't follow their own principles, and that's brought up in this episode. Yeah. Didn't they also mention the Andorians left? Well, yeah, the Andorians left and became part of the Andorian Orion Syndicate, which is the Emerald Chain. It's like all the gangsters out there. So the Andorians are also not part of the Federation anymore either. So that's two founding members down. Yeah, so I just wanted to see what you guys thought. So the next clip that I want to play from this uh, episode is, I just entitled it, Mom. Our vessel. You can forgo the niceties, Captain. Your commander has already diplomatically forced me into a corner. Your Shaolin Kakai will arrive momentarily, my Shaolin Kakai. An ancient Romulan designation, Vulcans know it as Shawset. Ah, my advocate. What's new since your time is that only sisters from the Kowat Malat order can serve as advocates. Forgive me, I'm not familiar with the Kowat Malat. The Kowat Malat are an ancient Romulan sect that live and die by the precept of absolute candor. A necessary outgrowth of a Romulan culture that trafficked in secrets. They were essential in helping our ancestors trust one another during the early days of reunification. Today they enable us to have a healthy discourse on the planet. It's an ancient story, isn't it? My people's fates are so intertwined and they are so similar in profound ways, yet they do not trust each other. I apologize for forcing your hand. I meant no disrespect. You are brave and technically a citizen of Navarre. Ultimately, you are within your rights. But I'm sure you are aware that a classic tactic during Tikalinket is to ruthlessly assail the credibility of the challenger. I am aware. If you are not proved to be credible, it will be known forever that Spock is to return to us a dissembler. And that will have real and grave consequences, do you understand? 
Yes, ma'am. One co-watch Milot's sister has taken a particular interest in your case. I suspect you may have a particular interest in her as well. She'll be transporting in momentarily. Be honest, especially to yourself. Because they really didn't need to jump forward because 
Giorgio uh, and, and somebody else was in that fight. I don't remember. They had already defeated Control in the past, so then the, that destroys the future. So there's a whole temporal mix-up of stuff concerning her. Uh, so, yes, in any case, I was surprised that uh, that she showed up when she did. What about you, Eric? Yeah, Jim, I think this scene that you just played contains the two biggest flaws in this episode. Now, I will tell you, I liked this episode overall, and I'm going to give it a decent score. But there are two major issues with it. The first is right now is the fact that Gabriel got pulled back through the wormhole without a suit on. She says this episode lands on East 4, which is the planet that like built and tested the suit on, which of course has wildly fluctuating temperatures and a here. I mean, there was that whole episode where they leave Michael alone on that planet in season two to get her to suffocate to get the red ants to show up so that they can get the angel. So it's it's pretty clear that like landing through a time wormhole onto an oxide atmosphere, I don't know how she's still alive. I guess she is. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and I'm sorry I'm gonna get a little anti here, but Teresa's a really good point here. She's the president of the Federation. She sends Michael basically back to a corner. She bullies her. She she comes up with this Vulcan thing that we've never heard before that's that she gets an, an audience uh because it has to do with kind of bring down into scientific knowledge, which is the base principle of, of Vulcan. It feels a little bit like they just created the thing to kind of get this scene out. I will tell you that the scene with Michael and her mother, which we'll talk about in a little bit, I think is the best scene in the whole show, and it was actually really, really, really good. But this whole like scene with Tarina and really the whole concept of coming up with this little plot device to kind of make it so that Michael can bring her case before all of these people just felt a little clunky to me. It felt like Michael's just being like, well, I got this one thing this ace in my pocket, boom, here it is, and I'm going to back Tarina into a corner and make her do what I want. So, I hate, I do not like this scene at all, for those two reasons. <laughs> what about you, Charles? Okay, uh, I'm going to steal a little bit from another podcast, Strange New World. I think what happened was Michael was to the point, it's like, okay, I have this thesis. I need to prove it to gain my doctorate. So you have to go with trial by your peers, and you have to go defend it. And that's what felt like this was going to be. He was, he was going to go defend her, defend her research. Problem is, we end up in the story that she's not really defending her research. She's defending her emotions. Uh-huh. Just thought was rather interesting, but that was an interesting tie-in to how the Vulcan Romulan society acts now. Yeah. And I think it's an interesting evolution to how Vulcan society has changed. But personally, when I saw the episode, the episode, I was like, "Oh, we're tying ourselves into Picard." It's like, I like that idea. I like that we're bringing in the sisters into the future century 
getting it back and saying, okay, these are part of the card in this. So we're able to tie in not only TNG, but the card as well. Of course, they like to tie in to that. But I thought it was interesting that Michael kind of was going to defend her research and how it kind of turned to more of an emotional state. Like a therapy session kind where her and her, wonder, her mom have it out. Yeah. But it's interesting to kind of give an idea that maybe the Vulcans have changed a little bit in the way they look at things now that they've spent more time with the Romulans on their planet as well. I I got the impression that uh, Michael's mom knew that the council would never agree to give her the, the information she wanted. It was a lost yeah. cause. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. The Romulans wanted to give it up, but the Vulcans didn't, and she knew that it would never happen. However, she says to Michael, there's other, there's others watching, or there's, other, there's another audience or something along those lines. And I think that, you know, her mother knew that if she could get her to come clean and impress the Vulcan president, who, who Saru already dazzled, unbeknownst to everybody already, and convince her that yeah. the Vulcan president was the one that needed to be convinced and not the council. And like you said, it was, it was Michael Burnham was herself. Her character was on trial, and she passed. And when she, well, when I, she withdrew her, her challenge, because the Vulcans and the Romulans were, were going to walk out and get in a big fight over what to do, and she withdrew her challenge, uh, that was the sign to the Vulcan president that, yeah, yeah, I mean, we, 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 can, we can trust her. So that, that's the way I looked at it. I think Charles had a really good point there where he's talking about how the milk of these two cultures, the Vulcans and the Romulans together, was something that Michael was not prepared for, right? She actually tried to approach this situation from a completely Vulcan mindset. She said, surely they'll listen to logic if I just use logic. Well, it turns out that that doesn't actually work in this society. And I would say that even the woman who was playing Tarina, the, the president, I thought she actually had a little emotion to her, you know? You could tell that she had a little edge to her voice sometimes when she spoke and that sort of thing. And so Michael's mom tries to tell her before she goes into the meeting, she's like, you don't really understand what's going in the, what's going on in there, you know? And, and this after Michael having told Sarah, yes, I'm totally prepared. I'm ready to go. I know exactly what I'm doing. And she, she, it turns out she didn't know. And she actually needed her mom to save her. And I don't know, are we going to talk about that particular scene, Jim? Are we going to, or uh, we is that can, one of your sound bites? Talk a, no, but we can talk about that right now. I mean, I'll just, um, I'll just say to? that I, I personally thought that was the best scene in this whole episode. The, the scene where her mom, the advocate, breaks her down in front of the council. It actually was reminiscent to me of the way that Riker um, breaks down the arguments uh, against uh, data being sentient in measure of a man, where he's sort of forced into this position where he must do his best job to try and defeat data. I feel like Gabriel Burnham starts to do that in this episode where she starts breaking her down and you see Burnham's kind of start to fall apart and she doesn't really have answers for going on and they actually have to take a break and then when she comes back there's that moment where all of a sudden you can tell that Burnham gets it and it sort of clicks in her head and she says well well aren't I a Starfleet officer yes and didn't they 
tell me to go do the things that I need to do to make it really cool? Yes. And I just love the way that whole thing flips all the way around. You know, you're, you, it starts out where you think, oh, my God, all of a sudden this mom, she's really digging in. She's not the friend she thought she wants this. And yet she turns out to be exactly the friend that Michael needs in that moment to get what she needs out of the situation. Brilliant scene. Loved it. And something else that I think is interesting in this scene is that we, we are all aware of Vulcans. We, we've all grown up our entire life with Vulcans. We know how Vulcans act. We know how we're, we're familiar with them, except for maybe the Dickie Vulcans that we saw in Enterprise. They were, they were total idiots. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but other than those Vulcans, we, we know how Vulcans are. We also know how Romulans are. And they're completely, they're at different ends of the spectrum. They're like Republicans and Democrats. And now, all of a sudden, they're thrust together. And they have to live together. And they have to cooperate. And they're on a planet together. And we know that things can't be easy there. And we know that things are going to be disruptive because we know that the Vulcans, more than likely, are going to tend to pick up some of the emotional uh, responses of the, of the Romulans and that the Romulans in turn would more than likely pick up some of the logical uh, responses of the Vulcans. And we'd get a new Vulcan uh, Romulan hybrid type of race. At least that's the way I think it would go. Um, yeah. And, and, I, interesting and, I to hope, see. and I hope we see more of that Jim, because I feel like we got enough in this episode. We actually never really saw the plant. I mean, we saw one view of the, and I think maybe um, the guys at Trek Yards might have brought this up too. And I totally know that didn't Navar look a little bluer than normal? <laughs> I think there's some terraforming going on there. I think maybe they're changing the climate of their planet to make it a little bit more, um, you know, comfortable Less for the Romulans who basically come from a, a jungle planet pretty much. I mean, Romulus is like all trees and, and Vulcan's all desert. So, uh, I, it seems no other race could have taken in Vulcans, or the Romulans, except the Vulcans. You know, they've shown yeah. themselves through first contact to be the ones that like are willing to to risk giving, I guess, is a good way to look at it, to put themselves out there. And certainly they had to put themselves out there to take in all these Romulans, 900 million Romulans or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So... Uh, we couldn't do a show on unification without this next clip because for me this is this is the entire episode and I just call this Bach. Listen to me, little brother. The last advice I'll ever be able to give you. There is a whole galaxy out there full of people who will reach for you. You have to let them. Ambassador Spock, circa Stardate four five eight two five. Coordinates redacted. Retrieved from classified archive. The personal files of Admiral Jean Luc Picard. 
closed minds have kept these two worlds apart for centuries. We can either choose to live with that enmity or seek a way to change it. The union of the Vulcan and the Romulan people will not be achieved by politics or by diplomacy. But it will be achieved. Like the first Vulcans, these people are struggling toward a new enlightenment. And it may take decades or even centuries for them to reach it, but they will reach it. And I must help. for lives. Part of leadership is the acknowledgement that one is suited to it. Many members of our crew have struggled with all that has changed. I have watched you rise to the occasion. I believe you can help them rise as well. And I believe you will always put the needs of Starfleet and the Federation ahead of your own wishes. Sir, are you asking me because I'm qualified or because I'm compliant? asking because I believe this is in the best interest of our ship. It'd take a day to think about it. Now, let us jump to Navarre. So here we have Tilly getting promoted to acting number one. And um, I've already, I already watched Nick, I already watched the episode that's, um, that was on today. So all the points that I had made previously absolutely came to fruition, but I just want to say one thing. <clears throat> having, having Tilly in engineering 
would be a detriment to the character because we have Jet Reno down there, who's a spectacular character. We also have Adira Gray, who just came aboard, who, who is also another spectacular character and developing a great relationship with Stamets. We have to get Tilly out of engineering so that the character can grow. She needs to be out of there so that she can grow, and so the other characters in engineering, the new characters, can also have their moment in the, in the spotlight. So, yeah, so she, so she moves. She, she moves up to temporarily to command, and now this opens up a whole bunch of stuff that can happen in engineering without her. So, so from a writing standpoint, a lot of people have been saying it's lazy writing, it's crappy writing, the writers don't know what they're doing. Not true. The writers know exactly what they're doing, and if you saw tonight's episode, case closed. Um, if you haven't, well, go watch it. So there's that. Secondly, um, there's, there's no one more qualified for that position right now than Tilly, unless they pull some unnamed crew that we've never seen and don't know, and Saru just says, here, you're the new number one officer. And if that happened, I think fans would have been more up in arms because now we have a stranger that we've never seen and don't know who's now in that position. So I don't think that would have happened. And more importantly, Tilly, Saru has to have someone there he can trust someone he can count on, someone that the crew can relate to, and allowing Starfleet to arbitrarily promote somebody from the future, them on the ship that knows nothing about what they've been through, about their relationships, that someone that the crew doesn't know would kind of be like when they put Jellicoe on the Enterprise, and it it just wouldn't gel. So I don't have a problem at all with Tilly being intern number one. Biggest thing, you look at TNG, the card promotes Wesley Crusher, the acting ensign, well, okay, he's an ensign. He's not the first officer, but he put him at the nav on the bridge of the Enterprise, the flagship of the of this Federation. There must have been officers on the Enterprise that were in line for that position that went to the academy that had the proper training that didn't get the job because he gave it to the child of his love interest as chief medical officer. So we, we've, you know, we've seen things like this happen on Star Trek and – that's all I want to say. And oh my God, we're so much out of time here. Who wants to jump in? <laughs> Cause we're really going overboard here. Nate, Eric, Charles, Dave, who wants to jump in next? Um, I Eric. just wanted to make a quick, uh, I just wanted to make a quick point that, um, I think, uh, I think that, uh, Bonham's mom's a hologram. That's the only way to explain the whole differentials of the timeline. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. Eric, I know you yeah. wanted to make some points here. Well, I mean, the thing is, Jim, is I haven't seen this episode, so I don't actually know how this all plays out. So I'm going to say some things that may be completely undone by tonight's episode. But here's what I will say. Um, the first officer is supposed to be command of the ship if the uh, you know if the if the chain of command is not able to be able to be followed and I actually I actually totally disagree with you Jim in terms of um, where Tilly belongs to me one of the magic relationships that they have developed on discovery is between Stamets and Tilly and I think the way that those two actually work out comes together and they added Jet Reno and they, they even make some jokes about it this season about how they're like a dysfunctional family, but they get the job done. And so I actually 
like that trio of Bolton and Stamets was a great trio to have, and I like that Stamets had rank. Uh, actually, just him and Jet Reno are technically the same rank, but like he seemed to have sort of rank uh, in engineering. And it, and I cannot agree with the scene that he has in this episode where he says, you know, taking order from orders from her is going to be a little bit weird. Now, she is super sweet. She is super, super uh, capable. She is super smart. I do ultimately think that she will be an excellent commanding officer. Um, but I think the show is falling victim to having to push the story along a little bit too quickly. We only have a limited number of episodes, and we got to push the story so far. So rather than showing how she will actually develop into a commanding officer, they're just going to thrust her into that role and sort of trial by fire. Um, so, you know, that's one way to do it. I don't think this would ever actually happen on a Starfleet ship. I think there's almost a 0% chance that somebody who didn't complete the command training program and is an NC would actually get promoted to XO of the ship. So that, to me, is a thing that takes me out of the reality of the story and makes me enjoy the story a little bit less than I normally would. So I'm still along for the ride. I'm excited to see where they take the Tilly character in this role. Saying that for where I'm standing, makes absolutely no sense to me to promote her to first officer. That's my story. Charles. Nathan, someone want to jump okay. in? Okay. I know. I had a long, drawn-out conversation with this one early with somebody else than Nathan I know. Yes, in the regular time period of the Federation and in the military, Yes, there is a chain of command as things happen. But I just thought about the time period. Yes, but there can be promote field promotions and modifications to rank, especially during wartime. Well, we're kind of at wartime right now because they're their own bubble of the Federation. Because the main federation is just a small, disjointed group of people, but nowhere near connected to Discovery itself. If you notice the one scene to the end, where number one probably would have come from the bridge crew, but the bridge crew really is focused on their own job. Do we need to replace? one of the bridge crew people by having to put somebody we don't know in there just so one of them can come up to being the the number one. I think the idea is they want to bring number one from the family, but not as much from the bridge crew, which is really focused on their jobs right now, all the changes they're going through. So I think the idea is they want to bring somebody that the crew can accept, but somebody who's going to be able to deal with some of the issues going on and not have to change the crew balance around as much. And I think Tilly kind of fits in that area where she can still, as number one, work in science with the other crew members, deal and deal with a lot of the issues it's going through. So I know it's a long, complicated thing, but I can understand reasons why they might want to put Tilly in such a position right now. 
So, Nate, what do you think? Well, um, I I have a as former military myself, I have a problem with him just uh, skipping all the chain of command and um, and uh, giving her this position when she's just as an ensign. Um, there are uh, there are a plethora on this ship of people that they address as commander, whether that's yeah, lieutenant Nielsen. commander or full commander. There are so many damn commanders on this so ship. So many damn commanders. Any one of those could take the position. Yeah. Um, if if he were to field promote her and say, okay, now you're a lieutenant commander, so you can fill that position, I might be better with it. But there, uh, other than real life, that that real life, I know we're watching a science fiction show, but Real life military, they're supposed to be whether whether they uh, and and he's referring to his discussion with Terrence on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, whether whether they're a military organization or not, uh, Starfleet does use ranks. So therefore, in my opinion, they are a military organization. So they should follow that protocol. So he should be picking one of those other commanders, but. Um, there is a similarity I want to bring up to 2009 JJ Trek, and that is that Cadet Kirk took command of the Enterprise when uh, they relieved uh, Spock because of mental issues or whatever that he was having. I don't remember the exact situation, but Cadet Kirk took and that's even lower than Ensign, uh, took command of the Enterprise. So they're doing a similar thing that they did in 2009 Trek, ignoring chain of command and, and putting whoever. Now, obviously, they did that because Captain Kirk is Captain Kirk from the TOS, but that's, it's a similar thing that they have done. This is the same, even though they're not bad robot, but they are a spawn of bad robot. They're they're doing the same thing that they did in 2009. It's a similar situation. So um, I think that's where they're getting the idea from and saying, oh, there's precedence for it because we did it in 2009. But, again, in a military situation, that would not happen when you have plenty more aboard your ship and also within Starfleet that are also serving on vessels that may be up for promotion to EXO on the next available ship. So, um, yeah, that I, I have a serious problem with the situation. All right, and I have one more clip I want to play for you guys. We're way out of time here, but that's okay. And this clip is called Just Say Yes. You wanted to see me? told them? Of course I told them. I I haven't given an answer yet. I Say yes. But I Say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Say yes. Just say it. <laughs> really? Why? Because we know you and knowing you We'd all follow you anywhere. Saru made the right choice. Well, I'm gonna need all of your help. 
course. But uh, first, we'd like to present a list of grievances and requests. <laughs> I need two weeks leave on Earth. Place called Hawaii? Yeah, the head in my fresher is leaking, so... I'd like quarters with a window. I'd like you to assign someone to help me analyze all this SB19 data. No, you got it? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I really wanted to tell you... Oh, did I miss the cool say yes part? Sorry, I'm late. wanted your blessing. No, you don't need that. Make it easier. You leave me. Wait, are you mean you're not leaving? I'm here for the duration. <laughs> Commander Burnham, I want you to take that data to the science lab immediately. You are going to figure out what caused the burn and help to rebuild the Federation. We all will. I'm glad because I thought you were going to ask me to switch my bed to the other side of the room. Yeah, no, that's happening. Oh, well, whatever you say. No more. All right, so uh, Nate, score one to ten. Uh, let's see. Um, overall, I think I'd give it uh, probably a seven. Seven. Dave, one to ten. Yes. Oh, um, I'm probably going to give this about a 7.5. 7.5. Eric, one to ten. Yes, I'll agree with 7.5. Charles. I'm going to go more with the general concessions of fan, go with a nine on this one. I think this was yeah, well and I'm right titled. there with you. I'm going to, I'm going to go with a nine myself and we're like way over time here. So uh, I want uh, to say thank you so hour? much. <laughs> oh, well, I'm sure that we could. <laughs> There's a lot in this episode, but <laughs> I just want to say thank you to David for calling us tonight and hanging out with us. Thank you very much, David. Yeah, you're welcome. I just got one more thing to say before we go. Um, you guys were talking about the Mandalorian sure, before, and the yep. white lightsaber that Ahsoka got, she got those from Anakin Skywalker before he walked off and never saw her again before he turned to Darth Vader. I thought I, thought I remembered a scene. Yeah, it was in like season that. six. I thought so. And, of course, I want to say happy birthday to the birthday boy, and thank you for hanging out with us and talking Mandalorian and Star Trek, Nate. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Uh, it was a great show. And I want to say thank you to Eric for hanging out and Trek talking with us. I couldn't do the show without you, Eric. Thank you. Uh, great time as always. Thanks, guys. And, of course, we can't forget Charles. Thank you very much, Charles, for hanging out and Trek talking with us tonight. It was fun. Oh, yeah. It's been a while since we've had a long, extra long show like this. Definitely was a good well, week I, for sci-fi. I thought this one was going to be long because of the, the scope of the Mandalorian and this particular Star Trek episode. And there were a couple other things that that I wanted to talk about, but we, like, you know, like Dave said, we can't go for another hour. So 
<laughs> yeah, maybe another time. <laughs> we okay. can come back and revisit it later. Um, not a problem. <laughs> of course, I want to say thank you to each and every one of you guys listening around the globe. We couldn't do the show without you guys, so thank you. Thank you so, so much. Make sure you head over to our Facebook page, Trek Talking and A-N-D, Beyond, and like and follow us there so you never miss a podcast. Make sure you tell us where you're from. And make sure you comment on the episode so we can give you a fan shout-out when we do our fan shout-outs next week. We'd love to have your name mentioned there. Uh, we can use your help if you head over to um, to patreon.com backslash trekfalcon. You know, we have over 23,000 followers on our Facebook page. A dollar from one one-hundredth of you, one one-thousandth of you, would make a huge difference and really help us out a lot. So uh, please head over there and help us out in any way that you can. We'd really appreciate it. Make sure you tune in to Stunt Tracks with myself and D. Leslie Hoffman on Sunday night from 7 to 8 o'clock. Don't know what we're going to talk about, but it's always fun. Leslie share, will share her behind-the-scenes um, stories with us. And I just want to say thank you very much to everybody. I'm your host, Uncle Jim. Hailing frequencies are closed. And this week I'm going to leave you with the trailer for next week's episode, which is entitled Sanctuary, directed by Jonathan Frakes. I'm sorry, this week's episode, which we're going to talk about on next week's show. It's called Sanctuary. And good night to everybody, and we'll see you real soon. Good night. Good night, y'all. This is where the burn started. So we have a point of origin. Something or someone is definitely sending it. Philippa? That's weird. Scientifically speaking. I'm about to do something that might get us both killed. Did you mean what you said? I want in. I can face anything. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly-picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.